Hello and welcome. I'm Carol Cram, your host for the Art and Fiction Podcast. This episode is called Thrillin' with the Bad Girls and features my interview with Lane Fargo, author of Temper, a contemporary thriller set in the theater. In addition to writing smart, engaging thrillers, Lane Fargo is a Pitch Wars mentor, the vice president of the Chicagoland chapter of Sisters in Crime, and the co-creator of the podcast, Unlikable Female Characters. Lane lives in Chicago with her partner and their pets. Welcome to the Art and Fiction Podcast, Lane. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk today about uh, your novel, Temper. In a, a review I just wrote, I described Temper as a psychological thrill ride into the edgy world of indie theater in Chicago. Do you want to just give me a quick overview of Temper? Sure. Um, so Temper is a psychological thriller about the psychosexual power struggle between an actress and a director at a small theater company in Chicago. Um, it's very specifically set in the storefront theater world in Chicago, which most people not from around here might not be familiar with, but it's like super, super small theaters, maybe like 50 seats in, in the house. Um, so it's very intimate and also claustrophobic environment for a thriller. I got that impression, but that, that's really interesting that you've got that sort of claustrophobic setting and that whole claustrophobia actually goes all the way through the novel. So can you tell us a bit about your um, inspiration for Temper? Yes, yeah, so Temper was originally inspired by a real story. Um, there's a, well, it's not there anymore, but there was a theater, a storefront theater in Chicago called Profiles. Uh, and a few years back, there have been rumors about this theater for many years, but a local paper did an expose of the artistic director there. And essentially he was abusing everyone in the company psychologically, emotionally, sexually, physically, like every way you can oh, think great. of. He was just a complete psychopath. Um, yeah, sounds like it. So there was this big expose and it sort of brought together all of these rumors that everybody in the theater scene had been talking about for a long time and made it visible and the theater shut down and he fled town. So I read about this and was completely horrified, but also as a writer, really intrigued by the dynamics at work there. So I wanted to write a thriller that took place based on a situation like that. But then, of course, what happens in my novel is is completely fictionalized and also based on a number of other similar situations that I found in my research at other theater companies. And I mean, well, in every industry, essentially, we're seeing there are men like this. Oh, absolutely. It's certainly uh, timely. Unfortunately, it's always been timely. Yes. I was just talking to someone about uh, Hollywood in 1920, and it's the same story. And <laughs> it's like, oh, great. Are we making any progress? I think we are a little bit, but. Um, a little bit. We still have a long way to go. Yeah. And I've, I've seen Temper described as a psychological feminist thriller. So, what does that mean? Um, I mean, I'm a feminist, and so I'm writing from mm -hmm. a feminist perspective, and I wanted to explore feminist themes in this book, specifically the abuse of power by men. And um, another sort of feminist aspect of the book that was really important to me was so often when we hear stories of abuse like this, there's a lot of burden put on the women who are the victims to prove that they are this perfect, innocent, blameless, morally upright person in order to gain people's sympathy. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes not even then. So I intentionally wrote the two uh, female point of view characters in this book, Kira and Joanna. I intentionally wrote them to be imperfect victims. I mean, they're not great people. They do a lot of bad things too, but it doesn't invalidate the abuse that they're suffering. No, not at all. And I really like that uh, aspect of your novel because I mean, I hate the whole victim thing. It was really well done the way those two women, like you couldn't actually like them all the time. 
No. <laughs> uh, but which was fine. I mean, you don't like everybody all the time necessarily. So, uh, so what did you want us to take away from this novel? What kind of feelings did you want us to take away? Um, you know, rage, anger. Those are always things I want. <laughs> I was kind of wondering. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the title. Um, that's a theme in all of my work, I would say. I mean, I'm, I, well, how could you be just paying attention to what's going on in the world and not be angry all the time? I don't, I don't know. Well, what was sort of redeeming, do you think? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that the portrait of abuse in this book will make people maybe who haven't encountered this in their own lives, or maybe if they have, I don't know, but a little more uh, like sensitive to how, how subtle it can be. Because a lot of the stuff that Malcolm, the antagonist in the book, like it starts out that it's sort of just insidious. Like he's not hitting people. He's not a rapist. He's not like all these obviously villainous things, but he is an abuser who's manipulating people all the time. And that can be, it can be so subtle that you question yourself if you're in a situation like that, you question if it's really happening to you. And so I hope, and I've heard from some women who read the book and were like, yes, this is what I experienced exactly. It was captured here. And so I hope that can um, shine a light on that for. Which, which is fantastic because it is so insidious, that kind of gaslighting. Oh, well, maybe it's me. Yeah, no, it's not. So, um, so I like how, how you did that. So, of course, one of the reasons that temper is included on art and fiction is because it's about the theater. And so describe your theater background. I have a college degree and a master's degree in theater. Uh, I was always a backstage person. I was a dramaturg, so I did um, historical research and wrote program notes and things like that. And then I worked backstage on a number of productions. I have not been involved in the theater community personally for quite some time, but most of my friends and my spouse are are members of the theater community in Chicago. So it's still really a part of my life and something that I, I love a lot, even though I don't think I've portrayed it in the best light and temper. <laughs> well, I, actually, I don't think so. I, th- I mean, I do think you have portrayed it very well. I totally loved all the backstage behind the curtain kind of stuff that you've got you know the rehearsal process and I one thing I really loved was the fight choreography I mean I have a bit of a theater background too I have a master's in theater but uh, haven't been active in the theater for decades even though I love it but I didn't know any of that stuff about uh, fight choreography and how it is so choreographed did you talk to a choreographer? Yes. One of my best friends, uh, Christina Gorman, she is an actress and also a fight and intimacy designer here in Chicago. And she really helped me out with that, like explaining the correct way to do the choreography and then the unsafe way to do it, which is, of course, what's happening in temper. And um, yeah, no kidding. I promised her when I wrote the book that I would make Spence, who's the fight choreographer character in the book. He, he can be kind of uh, a jerk in some ways in his personal life, but he's extremely ethical about his profession. And I wanted to reflect that kind of my friend's views on that, that it's something that should not be taken lightly. It it should be highly choreographed, very careful. Everyone should be safe at all times, even if it looks dangerous to the audience. Yes. And having that Spence character throughout was great because you that was constantly being underscored. So when things started to go off the rails, you kind of had a beacon to go back to. And actually, it's funny. I love Spence. He's actually my favorite character. He's mine, too. (laughs) (laughs) kind of wondered about that yeah he's just he's so empathetic I mean yeah he plays roles and you know he can be a jerk but he comes off in a way as the most genuine Mm -hmm. like Joanna and Kira are both playing roles yes right obviously and I want to talk a little bit about about Joanna and Kira Uh, I probably identified most with Joanna I'm not sure why (laughs) I 
as well identify with Joanna the most. Um, Kira is really nothing like me. I, I love her. I loved writing her, but I am much, much more like jo- Joanna. I can imagine that Kira was a lot of fun to write. She, she, she's great. She's a fabulous character. And yeah, I really liked her. But it's funny that you identified most with Joanna as well. Well, maybe because of what she does, right? kind of similar yeah and I, I'm just sort of a type a very organized person so yeah I identify with that where she's kind of this control freak and trying to keep everything under control when it's just I mean Malcolm can't be controlled that's the lie she's been telling herself the whole time she's known him I just love that the, the whole way you portrayed Joanna as fooling herself for so long I mean I don't want to give any spoilers but uh you did that, but without making her come across as a victim or as sort of a bit spineless or whatever. She doesn't. She's a strong person, well-organized, etc., as you said, but she's got this kind of blind side. What interested me so much about Joanna is she's really complicit in his abuse. Like, she's an abuser, oh, totally. too, in her own way, I and mean, she's enabling him. She treats Kira and the intern at the theater company, Bryn, she treats them really horribly. She's not a nice person. But we see what Malcolm's doing to her and can sympathize with her in that respect while still seeing that she's complicit herself. Exactly. Which, uh, again, it's it's real life. It's messy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not black and white. Is there anything redeeming in Malcolm? <laughs> <laughs> or do you want, I suppose, actually, I should rephrase it. Do you want us to see any redeeming qualities in uh, Malcolm? Well, I mean, I made him seductive and attractive on purpose, you know? I mean, I think a a man like that, he would almost have to be to get away with the stuff that he does. I made Malcolm much more attractive than the guy from Profiles Theatre that I based him on, I'll say that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think, like, he's obviously very passionate about his art, um, but I intended him to be, I mean, he is a psychopath, like, he is just manipulating people um he doesn't really have any aim beyond that and it's been interesting to me some of the response to him especially from men I (laughs) I got a review from a a male critic at a major publication who was expressing a wish for Malcolm's point of view he just really wished that there had been chapters from Malcolm's point of view so he could understand him and like get in his head and I was just there's nothing there I mean he's just a psychopath he's just manipulating people and we so often look at these men who are prominent in the arts and they're like oh he's a genius whatever and we want to identify with them but I think a lot of times there's just no substance there I mean <laughs> we're giving them a lot more more meaning than they deserve than they deserve exactly and actually I'm really glad you didn't didn't give him a role but I was curious why you chose the name Malcolm does it have anything to do with Macbeth where Malcolm is actually the good guy no I mean I just like the name obviously his nickname is Mal which means bad and I think several is a little on the nose with the symbolism but it's just it's one of my favorite names which I've now kind of ruined forever I think (laughs) exactly if you you ever had a boy you can't name him Malcolm now I know (laughs) no I can't even name like a pet Malcolm it's all over (laughs) and it's interesting that um, Hamlet goes all the way through it too production of Hamlet is talked about do you see any similarities maybe between Malcolm and Hamlet um he's very full of himself and likes to listen to his own voice (laughs) Good point, because I was trying to sort of see, did you do that deliberately? Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that Malcolm wanted to play Hamlet at such a young age, because it's something that in the book, it has happened like 10 years prior that they keep referring back to and just kind of shows his self-importance, I think. Another aspect of the novel that I really enjoyed was uh, how you used the weather (laughs) and Chicago. I was just in Chicago, well, last October. I haven't been very often, but it's a great city. Wow. 
but it's interesting how you use the weather going from super hot in September to the beginning of winter when the uh, play opens. And I was wondering, was that deliberate, using it to sort of mirror the descent of the characters? I had to laugh when I saw that question because no, not at all. <laughs> oh, really? Because it was really good. I just, um, I fall is my favorite season and I seem to set all of my books there. Like my one that comes out in October is set in, in October and I'm writing one now that's also set in the fall. It's just like my favorite time of year. But um, sure, I could take credit for that, I guess. I don't know. Isn't that great? Don't you love that, though, when other people find stuff in your books that you actually didn't even know were there, but they're really good? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, sure. I'll take credit. Yeah. Because it, re- it really occurred to me as I'm reading it. So it's getting colder and colder and, and things are starting to heat up as the weather is getting colder. And you have a lot of them walking around Chicago and the wind coming off. And I mean, I remember how cold Chicago can be in the fall with that wind. So maybe because I had been there not all that long before I was thinking that. But anyway, that, that's cool. <laughs> Time for a short break. I'm a huge fan of Pro Writing Aid. Described as a grammar checker, style editor, and writing mentor all in one package, Pro Writing Aid really does help you be a better writer. What I love is how the suggestions make me think about what I've written. The program does a lot more than just identify grammar and spelling mistakes. It provides 20 in-depth writing reports that highlight elements such as repetitiveness, vague wording, sentence length variation, adverbs, use of passive voice, and a lot more. Follow the link in the show notes and you'll receive 20% off a subscription to Pro Writing Aid. Believe me, it's the best money you'll ever spend to improve your writing. Another thing I really like about your writing, I really have to compliment you, is the use of your language. You really are a fantastic wordsmith. Thank you. So do you spend a lot of time crafting your similes and all that kind of thing? They're just done really well. Somewhat. I have sort of a very like technical writing process where I go over it a lot of times. Like I start out free writing, whatever comes to mind to get over that like perfectionism (laughs) I think that plagues most writers so important to get over that yeah and then I do a pass where I'm writing it uh, as a script almost or it's just dialogue and stage directions and then I really try to put the description and the pretty language and everything on top of that so I'm not trying to do that early on in the process or I would just get obsessed with making the sentences beautiful and perfect so I want to start with the character motivations and the actual action of them in in space and I really do think in terms of dialogue and blocking that's I guess my theater background but it's, it's really worked for me as a novelist and then I add all that other stuff on on top it's sort of the the last step good well yeah because I want to talk a little bit about the craft of writing and I think that's that process that you just described is really good advice for new writers I mean I know back in the day I used to get obsessed with trying to get it right the first time mm-hmm well, forget it, right? I learned now you just got to get it out and uh, not try and be perfect. Nobody can see it, you know, <laughs> until you let them. Yeah, that kept me stuck for so long. I mean, I didn't really start writing seriously until my late 20s. Um, like I wrote some in college and then I just would get so obsessed with making that first page perfect and make no progress whatsoever. And it was doing National Novel Writing Month that really shook me out of it. Uh, I did that in 
God, uh, 2012, I think was the first time I attempted it. And it was a t different project that didn't end up going anywhere, but it was the first thing that got me to just write and get past trying to make it perfect. Cause the whole point of national novel writing month is you just have to write 50,000 words. Like they can be the worst words you've ever seen, but at least you're writing something. And that really got me out of that and set me on this path. I don't think if I had done that, I would have ever, I'd still be rewriting like the first paragraph. <laughs> well, you're way ahead of me. It took me a few more decades to finally, even though I've been writing like all my life and I wrote professionally for years, mm -hmm. But to actually start getting into writing fiction or, or really getting into it, it actually took a little bit longer because I was sort of obsessed with that uh, perfectionism. And I, yeah, I love NaNoWriMo. My second novel was birthed during NaNoWriMo. It's such a great thing. I, every so often I still do it. And uh, for all you writers out there, do NaNoWriMo. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, just try it. I mean, because when I did it, I really, uh, I think I was just fully lying to myself, but I was like, I'm just going to do this for fun. I don't really want to be a writer. I'm just messing around. And then it was shortly after that, I kind of had to admit to myself that I did want to be a writer and I did want to be published, but it took that, like I was just totally in denial about it. Well, why actually, when you were doing NaNoWriMo, what made you suddenly think, oh, I think I really do want to be a writer? I just, I don't know. It was like, once I started, I, I couldn't stop. It just felt right. Um, I mean, I've always written, like when I was a little kid, I would write these little picture books now it's funny because I look back on myself as a child and I used to say like, oh, I want to write books. I want to write for TV. I want to do all this stuff. And then <laughs> now I actually am a full-time writer and it's like what I said I wanted to do when I was five, but I had to go through decades of all of this other stuff in order to admit that was what I really wanted. Well, I, th I think writers tend to be kind of late bloomers. It takes us yeah. a while. You know, you hear about people that are 20 and they've got like three novels out. Like, wow, how'd you do that? It's amazing. It takes a long time to weather. I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's an interesting craft in, in a way, unlike a lot of the other arts where you can be a star at 20. But, it, but with uh, writing generally, it does tend to take a long time. Yeah. So I wanted to talk also about your podcast, Unlikable Female Characters, which is like the best name ever. Thank you. <laughs> I've been listening to it. it I'm getting a huge kick out of it. It's great. So uh, tell me a bit about it. Unlikable Female Characters is a podcast that I co-host with two other crime fiction writers, Kristen Lepianca and Wendy Hurd. And we pretty much just unpack what makes a female character unlikable, you know, through a feminist lens in not just books. But we talk about movies and TV shows and just kind of any sort of pop culture. Sort of the conclusion that we've come to over doing this podcast for over a year now is like any character can be unlikable because it's all about female characters who are breaking the rules of the patriarchy. So there's like, if you can be too nice or too mean or too uptight or too sexy or too, there's no like <laughs> way that you can be completely likable to everyone. There's always, there's always something. So it's, it's given us a lot to talk about. We have, we have a really good time with it. Yes. Yeah, so I, I gather that. I know. I just, just love the idea because you wouldn't have unlikable male characters because male characters are allowed to be unlikable. Mm -hmm. But women are not really. You know, we were supposed to be nice. And, and so I love turning that on its head because it's not true. Of course, we're not supposed to be nice. Not all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this has been sort of a hot button issue in crime fiction and in pop culture in, in general for several years now. And it seems like it is becoming more acceptable. And for a while there, like when Gone Girl came out, it was almost, it was like trendy to have unlikable female characters. Everyone wanted to get in on that, but there still is an expectation in real life for women to be nice and well-behaved yes. and, and everything. So as long as that's there, you know, we're going to see that tension play out in fiction. Yes. I'm really glad you're doing that. It's, uh, it's very interesting. 
Uh, you're also involved in uh, Pitch Wars. Can you tell me about what that is? Sure. Yeah. Pitch Wars is this amazing mentorship program, which pairs unpublished writers with uh, more established authors or industry professionals. And they, Industry Pro mentors the unpublished writer for several months. And then there is a showcase for literary agents at the end. So you get to like work on your manuscript really in depth uh, with the mentor and then showcase it and hopefully sign with an agent. So I was a mentee in 2017 and then I've been a mentor for two years now um, and hopefully going to do it again this year. It's a wonderful community. I recommend it to everyone. Like if you're ready to really get serious about your writing and work and learn about the publishing industry and learn how to revise, like it is a great opportunity. And uh, they take submissions once a year. I believe it's in September this year that the submission window is going to be opening up. What's the uh, address for that? Uh, Pitchwars.org. Good. So people can just go to that website and have a look at uh, how to get involved. It's a, it's, such a great idea. I, I did a mentorship program before I published my first novel and not that one, but a different one. It's just, just a really great idea. I really recommend that uh, authors look into that because uh, you can learn so much by working with another author as opposed to an editor. It's a different dynamic. You learn different things, right? When you're with an author. Absolutely. You do. And I mean, it really changed my life like that is the turning point in my career as a writer. I don't really know where I'd be right now without it, um, but I credit so much to Pitch Wars. That's fantastic. Actually, speaking of Pitch Wars and publishing and all that, do you have any advice about uh, publishing? Should you get an agent, a publisher, go indie? I've done both, publishing and indie, but what do you think? I have an agent, um, although I am considering going hybrid because I have just a lot of stuff that I want to write that's maybe not for a traditional publisher. I think going into your hybrid is like if you have that entrepreneurial spirit and you're really like ready to think of your writing as a, a business and yourself as a brand and like do all of that work because it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of work. I know. Yeah, I think it's a great way to go. And even if you are wanting to be traditionally published and work with an agent, I think learning as much about the business of publishing and marketing and all that stuff. It's like a lot of writers want to just ignore that and do the writing, but it really is all part of it. I kind of enjoy both aspects of it myself, but I would say no agent is better than a bad agent. I'm, I'm very lucky to have an amazing agent. She is such a great business partner and I love working with her, but I know some people who've had bad literary agents who've really messed up their careers. So you want to be very cautious about that, which is part of learning about the business of publishing. So that's my general advice. Just learn as much about the business as you can. Well, that's excellent advice. But the more I learned about the business and yeah, I became a hybrid as well. It makes me feel like a car. <laughs> you realize that, yeah, it's business. And if you want to play in this game and be a professional writer, then you've got to, to learn about it. So your new novel's coming out pretty soon. So can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Yeah. My second book is called They Never Learn. It comes out on October 13th, and it is about a female serial killer who hunts rapists. Wow. I came up with the idea during the Kavanaugh Supreme Court hearings. <laughs> oh, good one. Yeah. It's really fun, actually. That might make it... I mean, it is... It's about a serious topic, but the main character... Scarlett is uh she really enjoys being a serial killer I'll just say that <laughs> isn't she an English professor I think I read that yes she's an English professor which I love because that's my background <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's a good multitasker she's also very organized and <laughs> type a you you like these organized characters I do I think we put a little bit of ourselves in all our characters 
yes there's definitely a lot of me in scarlet i'll say that like even more so than in joanna which um should maybe frighten all the men who know me but as long as they behave they'll be fine exactly <laughs> well that's great i'm looking forward to to reading that one anyway is there anything else you'd like to share with us about the writing process or anything i would just say i love your site i love the idea of featuring books that feature the arts that's some of my favorite things to read oh thank you yeah it's a it's definitely a labor of love <laughs> but we're having fun with it it's amazing how many cool authors i've found like you i probably wouldn't have found that book if i hadn't been looking for books about theater there are not a ton of books about theater I and mean, there are definitely some but i would love to see more and i just yeah i'm looking to your site for recommendations well so thanks so much lane thank you so much for having me on Thank you for listening to the Art and Fiction podcast. Please check the show notes for links and be sure to visit Art and Fiction at www.artandfiction.com to find your next great read. While you're there, consider subscribing to Art and Fiction so you can receive the weekly update that gives you a sneak peek about the novel of the week, upcoming podcast episodes, featured reviews, blog posts and authors, and much more. And please follow Art and Fiction on Twitter and Facebook and consider giving the Art and Fiction podcast a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.